We pray that as you listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heartsease Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. the verse if we could have it on the screen please Alex the verse says this what shall we say to these things if God is for us who can be against us let's read that one more time what then shall we say to these things if God is for us who can be one more time I just want you to get it into your spirit are you ready Romans 8:31 what then shall we say to these things come on stop stop the problems the adversities the trials the failures the mistakes the regrets what are we going to say to those things read on with me if God is for us who can be against come on you can shout amen in the house today You can run around the church if you want. You can get up and take a praise break if you want. That's some good stuff right there. What a way to start. That's not just good stuff. That's God's stuff. And God takes good to a whole new level. That's His promise for your life. The question is not if God is for you. The question is, are you allowing God to be for you? Because the question is never on God. The question is on our response to God, our response to His Word. And I just want every one of you to know God is for you. Look at your neighbor square in the eyes and say, God is for you. God is for you. Maybe you'll believe them if you won't believe me. I'm telling you, God is for you. And He's not just cheering you on. It's not like this cheerleader on the sidelines. God's not just cheering you on. He is also giving you the ability to be successful. Come on, a cheerleader on the side, they're not shooting the basket. They're not winning the game, they're cheering on. God's not just a cheerleader. God wants to give you and I the strength, the ability. He's already given us the know-how, we've just got to use it. But He wants to give us everything we need to be successful. So what's our goal for this month? What's our goal every time we stand to preach is this. Here's the goal. Look at this. We want you to trade your if-only regrets. And man, we all have them. I'm sure even this week you said, man, if only I'd have just done that. If only I hadn't have said that. We all have if-only regrets. But what's our goal? We're going to trade those things to God what-if possibilities. Trading them in for everything that God has for us. The life of abundance that God promises to give each and every one of us. And I think it's very interesting to understand this. God gives us a life of abundance in the face of what? The onslaught of the enemy. Think about that. 
in the face of what the enemy says, I have planned for your life, God superrides that. He oversees that. And he says, hold on a second. I'm going to give you life through the enemy's attack. And really, it's not an attack. It's suggestions. It's the enemy's suggestions. What do I mean by that? John 10.10. Look at it. It says this, the thief, the enemy, the devil, doesn't come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But notice, God says, but I have come. Here's the reason I came. The reason I came is that you may have life. What? In the face of the enemy's attacks. What does that show us? We're going to have problems. We're going to have tribulations. But despite what the enemy throws against us, his suggestions, God says, my life, my power, my ability is more abundant than anything and everything that the enemy can throw against you. You see, we read things like that and we can be afraid. Oh, he's come to steal. He's come to kill. He's come to destroy. I want you to know something. You need to know some things today. He can't do those things. The devil is powerless to do those things in your life. Because I'm telling you right now, if he could do those things, we would all be dead right now. He would take us off the face of this earth because he don't want us to invite people to Easter Sunday. He doesn't want us to tell other people about the goods. He don't want Don to invite his friend to church. He doesn't want us to be telling other people about the goodness of God. We're a threat to his kingdom. Just like he's a threat to the kingdom of God, we're a threat. And you've got to realize that and see yourself with that. So we've got to realize if the enemy could do what he says he can do, he would have done it a long time ago. He cannot do what he says he can do, but God, my God, my God can do and will do what he says he will do. So the enemy offers the power of suggestion. He offers the power of suggestion, which places our words, our actions, and our decisions in the wrong places, producing the wrong outcome. In other words, Satan barks out the orders, and so many times we agree and follow. Too many times we agree, working for the wrong cause, not the cause of Christ. But we're living in a defeated, burnt out, depleted place in our lives. The Bible says Satan's like a roaring lion. In fact, read that with me. It's from 1 Peter 5 verse 8. And so many times we jump to the part of what the enemy plays. But listen to me, we fail to realize our role in the situation. We know from 1 Peter 5, oh, he's like a roaring lion. He's seeking who he made it. We know all that part. But we leave out Perhaps what is the most important, because that's just a suggestion. We leave out the part that can bring life and abundance to us. Look what it says. Be sober and be vigilant. Have self-control is what the thought is. And be watchful. Whose responsibility is that? That's our responsibility. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, is walking around like a roaring lion. He's not even a roaring lion. He's like one. He's given the appearance of one. And remember, the only reason he's a roaring lion and he's not a biting lion is because on the cross, God kicked his teeth out. Come on. All he can do is gum you to death. He has the appearance of because he cannot do. He just comes with the suggestion of. He comes and uses each and every one of us. He's a master of using manipulation and false facts. And he presents them as complete 
truths. You've got to quit being fooled by His lies. You've got to stop giving in to the plan of destruction for your life. What does it say? He's an adversary. He's against you. He ain't your friend. He's walking around like a roaring lion. What? Seeking whom He may devour. We've got to remember that's what He wants to do. But we've got to focus on what God has called you and I to do. Listen to me. Your response, your position will determine your outcome. 1 Peter 5 and 8 says we've got to resist Him. We've got to come against Him. Oh no, rather verse 9 says this, and I don't have it on the screen, but it says we've got to resist Him. And how do we do that? Steadfast in the faith. We've got to have a steadfast relationship with God. We've got to start believing about what God says that's true and throw out everything else that's a lie. We've got to have a steadfast faith. What God is for me. God is on my side. God is fighting for us, pushing back the darkness. Come on, we sang it today. In the name of Jesus, enemy defeated, and we will shout it out. God is for us. He's pushing back. He's breaking free. When he cried on the cross, it is finished. He took care of it. He ain't still fighting. I want you to know that. The Bible said he's seated at the right hand of the Father. What does that mean? He's at the favor side of his Father. He's on the favored side, but he is seated. Why? Because he's already done it. And now he is watching you and I cheering us on. But remember, also giving us the strength and ability that we need to do what God has called us to do. Verse 8 starts with, we've got to be sober. We've got to be vigilant. That speaks about us being prepared and ready. We've got to avoid His attack. And again, verse 9 ends up, we've got to be steadfast in the faith. We've got to believe in God. In other words, you don't have to fall victim to the roaring lion. You can be sober and vigilant. You can resist him steadfast in the faith. Yes, there's going to be tests. Yes, there's going to be trials. But you, as a child of God, can stand through them. And listen to me, and grow through those things. There's no greater growth in your life than through adversity and trials. You're going to go to the gym. You need to put some weight on that barbell in order to produce the goods. If not, you're just looking a fool and everyone's laughing at you because nothing's happening. You've got to have a resistance in order to build strength and stamina. The Lord uses the suggestive resistance of the enemy that can build great stamina and strength in each and every one of us. Look what it says in James 2, verse 2 through 3. I think James got it that we need to get. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. You know what he's saying there, just in case you didn't understand? He said, shout and praise God when you come under attack. That's what he's saying. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Why? Here it is, verse 3. Here's our part. Are you ready? Here's your part. In the trials and the attacks, you've got to know. Knowing, 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 knowing. Say with me, knowing. 
knowing that the testing of my faith... Here's the reason. What's the reason? It's a testing of my faith. What is my faith? It's my relationship in Him. It's my position in Him. It's where I am. It's my ability to trust Him. It's my ability to take Him at His word. There's a testing that goes around, but through the testing, I've got to know, know what? That God is for me, but more than that, God is just for me. He's using these tests and trials to produce something in me. Look what it says. Knowing that the testing of my faith produces what? Patience. Where's that scripture? We got that? Produces patience. We don't like that word. For many people, that's a curse word. I don't want patience. Don't teach me patience. What about this one? There's other words. It's endurance and perseverance. God says, I want to build an endurance. I want to build a perseverance inside of you. Verse 4, but let patience have its perfect work that you and I may be perfect. I like that. doesn't mean I'm going to get it all right. That means mature. It means that I've got a new relationship with God. That when the enemy comes with his suggestions, now I'm mature and I'm awake to those kind of things and I realize that God is greater than anything that the enemy can throw against me and I'll be mature and complete. I love that. I'm going to be ready. I'm going to be ready. And what's the end? I will lack nothing. What a promise from God. So what's the key? What's my responsibility? What do we have to do? What did we just talk of there in verse 3? We've got to know. Say with me, we've got to know. What was what we read in 1 Peter 5? Verse 8? We've got to be sober and vigilant, resisting steadfast in the faith. What did we read in Romans 8 verse 31? What shall we say to these things? You see, we can't get to the end if we don't identify our position in the equation. What are you going to say to those things? Are you going to say, oh me, oh I'm in my problem? Or are you going to say to those things, God is for me and He is on my side and I will not be denied. What are you saying, Pastor? Here it is. Your response is crucial to the outcome. The outcome of your life is going to be determined upon your response to what Christ has already done. God has made it fully possible. But you and I have got to live out that possibility in our lives. The enemy suggests, the enemy presents, he has schemes, he wants to deceive us. And that's why we've got to know that God is for us. No matter how we feel, we've got to know God is for us. I've got to say that again, no matter how we feel. I don't always feel like God's on my side. Let's just be honest right now. Sometimes I think he's a bad God. Anyone said that this week? Bad God. Don't like you, God. I just feel you're against me. I've got to throw those feelings aside because my life is not going to be led by my emotions and my feelings any longer. My life is going to be led by a faith relationship because that's where I resist the devil. Steadfast where? In my emotions? In my feelings? In what other people say about me? No. In what God's Word says. Who I am. I've got to know God for who He is. And I've got to know that He has made it fully possible for me to turn my if-only regrets into what-if possibilities. And that's why today I want to talk about turning around your as-if. Turning around your as-if. What do we mean by that? On Wednesday, and I need to be in the house on Wednesday. We have a great time in church on Wednesday. And we love you to be here on a Wednesday night. But on Wednesday, we laid some really great groundwork again for this. We talked about your as-ifs 
in a negative way because that's where we tend to fall to. We tend to fall to the negative before the positive. We tend to think the worst before the best. And unfortunately, we get so consumed many times at the first stop, we don't even make it to the second stop. We get so consumed with the bad that we don't even consider that there's any good that can come out of those things. Because why? We listen to the suggestions of the enemy. And we believe his lies. We believe what he wants to throw in our lives. So our as-if negative viewpoint is this. Okay, pastor, if all this stuff is true, if all this stuff is right, as if God would even do that for me anyway. Do you see the negativity that we throw? I understand there's if-only regrets and I need to get to what-if possibilities, but I've got to go through the place or the process of as-if. And this is where I beat myself up so many times because I say, as if God would really want me anyway. Because the enemy feeds your thoughts. You know what you've done. You know what you did. You know how wrong you are. Do you think God, as if God would even... Come on, do I have a witness in the house? Is anyone awake today? I may be looking forward to preaching to the 11 o'clock. They may be awake. I said, are you awake today? Come on, take your fist and punch it. But no, I'm only playing. So you're going to wake someone up around you. But there's, think about that. We've got to turn it around, the as-ifs, because we can get so negative. And there's a way that we counteract that. Look at this, Philippians 2 verse 5. It says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's a key thought here. We've got to have a new mind. We've got to take on the mind of Christ. What is the mind of Christ? If you were here on Wednesday, be quiet. Don't give it away. What is the mind of Christ? For most of us, the mind of Christ is, we think, okay, the mind of Christ, mind, thoughts, okay, I know the thoughts I have for you. Oh, that's good. So it's the thoughts of God for our life. He wants to give us peace. He wants to give us comfort. So the mind of Christ is the right thoughts, peace, comfort, all great things. But I want to tell you right now, the mind of Christ is more than just thoughts. The mind of Christ is His Word. The mind of Christ is the Word of God, the Bible. The canon of Scripture, 66 books in the Bible, over 31,000 verses. The Bible is the Word of God. So what it's really saying is, we don't just have the right thinking, we've got to have God thoughts, which are God's words, because He doesn't just think things, He spoke things. He speaks things that are life and truth. There's a problem so many times between our thinking and our talking. There's no problem before his thinking. And God says, I know the thoughts I have towards you. They're to prosper you and to bless you. Why? Because it's his word. It's his truth. So we've got to get the word within us that's going to rewrite and reprogram our minds to his truth. Romans 12 verse 2 says these words, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by how? By a new mind. A new mind. What? A mind of Christ. Having the word of Christ inside of our lives. But again, we jump to verse 2, but we've got to look at our response because we've got to go through verse 1 before we get to verse 2. Many people want the outcome of 2, but they don't want to go through the process of 1. What does 1 say? 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Do you notice the terminology that he's using? He's kind of pleading with you. He's saying, hey, would you stop and listen a little bit? This is not a casual suggestion. He said, I'm beseeching you. If he was here right now, he would say, shut up, sit straight up, and you better pay attention to what I'm now about to say, because it could be the difference between life and death. He said, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God. It's not me, it's by God. 
that you, who, you, me, we do what? We give our bodies, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. Now what makes us holy and acceptable is our given to God, that it makes us clean and pure, which is our reasonable service. One translation said that's the least that you and I can do. Do you see our right results? Our right involvement, rather, is required to see the sustained results because we cannot come out of conformity and be transformed until we first sacrifice and give of ourselves to Christ. Think about it this way. When the enemy comes to you and he tries to tempt you with the old person, the old things, what do you often say to him? Oh, the devil, you're a liar. I don't believe that God is forgiven. Take it one notch further. Are you ready? That old person is dead. That old person is dead. It's over. It's done. There's no point talking about it anymore. It's dead and it's buried. Do you see that? I have sacrificed and given of my life. Now I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. As we present our lives to Christ, the results speak for themselves. Look at this. Too many people want God to do everything for their lives while they sit and do nothing. I'm not talking about your neighbor. I'm talking about you today. We want God to change our marriage, but we don't want to change. We want God to change our finances, but we're not a good steward and we don't even consider paying our tithes with what we have. We want God to heal our bodies and touch our bodies, but we need to put down the fork. We need to get in a diet. We need to eat properly. We need to exercise. Do you see? We want God to do all these things. Someone said this, and I thought it was so great. On Instagram, they posted this. Quit praying and asking God for something He's already told you what to do. Too many times we're praying for things, we're we're taking up that space. Instead of using it for things that will really bless our lives, we're praying about stuff that God's already given us the answers to. We just need the obedience to do it. We want to blame God, therefore, for everything that fails, don't we? Because we want God to do everything and then we do nothing, what do we do? We then blame Him for everything that doesn't work. Everything that doesn't happen. If you're going to blame him for everything that doesn't happen, you better start praising him for everything that he does do. And he did do everything. I said he did do everything. We want him to do everything. I'm here to tell you, he did do everything. You and I have just got to possess the promise. James 2, 17, it says this, This also, faith by itself. That's salvation. Salvation by itself, if it does not have action, if it does not have involvement, if it does not have participation from you and I, that faith relationship, that salvation experience is not going to produce the results that we need to see in our life. And in fact, James says it's dead. It's dead. You may not like that. Now listen to me. That doesn't mean for one second that you and I can work on our salvation. You don't obtain, you don't earn your salvation. It's impossible and it required a spotless sacrifice. And the last time I checked, you ain't that. I ain't that. For all have sinned and fallen way short. Christ was the only sacrifice that came and died for us once and 
for all. So if we could work it out, he would have never had to die for us. We couldn't work it out and that's why he came. So the works that we're talking about is not I'm working my way into salvation, but listen to me, but through salvation, now proper works, proper actions, proper words are now required by us. Man, I'm preaching a lot better than you are responding. Because of salvation, because of what he's accomplished, we shouldn't live in defeat and bondage any longer. We should live in freedom. What's our response? What are we going to say to these things? We've got to be sober. We've got to be vigilant. We've got to know what God's word says because our response is crucial to the outcome. It's not God's fault. He said it's finished. It's done. Price paid upon the cross of Calvary. It's the way we're choosing to live the life. Let's jump down to verse 22. Do you see that faith was working together? That thought is collaborating. Have you ever said to someone, come on, you've got to work with me. <laughs> Would you just work with me? I, I mean, just help me a little bit. You've got to work with me a little bit. That's what God is saying to each and every one of us. Would you work with me? I've already done so much. Would you just do your part? Would you just take on your responsibilities? Because it says this, with His works, with my actions, with your actions, what happens to faith? It's no longer dead. Faith is now made what? Perfect. Well, didn't we read about God would make us perfect and lacking imperfection? There's provision. It doesn't mean I'm perfect and I'll always get it right. It talks about there's a process I'm still in, but God has taken me to a place. But I've got to work with Him, I've got to collaborate with Him. I've got to go with him. It's like the pedals on the bike. I've got to work with God and we're going to make it together. I'm not earning my salvation, but I'm now living in my salvation. Again, God fully did his part. Now there's a requirement from us. You and I have got to start living intentionally. We've got to live intentionally in our lives. We've got to intentionalize our thoughts. We've got to intentionalize our act. We've got to live intentionally because if we think we're going to fluke our way to success, we're going to be disappointed every time. Instead of questioning as if, here's what we're going to turn it around to be today. We're going to start living as if. We're going to start living as if you already have it all. And you do. You already do have it all. You just got to step into it all. Listen to what August, Augustine said these words. He said, you got to pray as if. Everything depends on God. But listen, you got to work as if. Everything depends upon you. I want to say that more, one more time. You've got to pray as if everything depends upon God. God, I need you in every, but I've got to work. I've got to do my part as if what? Everything depends upon what I do. If we lived like that, our lives would never, ever be the same again. Our lives would never be the same again. I'd never be the same again. Our lives would never, ever be the same again. I want to show you an example. Can I show you an example today? Reggie and Dawn, I want, I want to give you something today. You like going out to eat? How's a $50 gift card for you? Applebee's $50 gift card. Is that a blessing for you? You can take that. Come on, let's give it up for them. Let's give it up for them. So I want to ask you a question. How was your meal? Mmm. 
What did you order on the menu? Didn't order anything yet. <laughs> well, why not? We haven't gone yet. But I've given you the gift card. You see, what you've got to realize is you've been given the gift of salvation. But you can't order anything off the menu until you're sitting in the restaurant. You've got to take it. You've got to possess it. You've got to walk into it. God said to the children of Israel, I've given you a promised land, but you've got to get up off your butt. You've got to get up and start doing something and start living like you have it. Too many people are saying, look, I've got a voucher, I've got a voucher. God didn't give you it to say, look, I've got a voucher. God didn't give it to you to say, look, I'm saved. God gave it to you for eat the meal of your life, to be fed, to be fulfilled. God gave it to you for you to experience it and to live it. You and I have the salvation, the promise of heaven. But thank God for that. But you know, we've still got to live here on earth. We're not just waiting for that day. Thank God it's a blessed hope, but we've got to live. We've got to be parents. We've got to be employers or employees. We've got to be pastors. We've got to be leaders. We've got to be husbands. We've got to be wives. You have been saved for what? You've got a purpose. Too many Christians are holding on to that voucher and they're never spending the promise, the blessing of what God has. Whether you choose to spend it or not, it doesn't depreciate the value of it. The value is there. What am I saying to you right now? The value of salvation is there. What shall I say to that? Am I going to know that? Am I going to be sober and vigilant to that? Am I going to believe that? What am I going to do? You see, a few times today we've said the word responsibility. If you want to divide that word responsibility, it comes with this, response and ability. Say that with me, response and ability. Think about that. I have a response and I have the ability. It breaks it down really and makes it look in a new way, doesn't it? Because we throw out, oh, that's your response. No, that's your response and you have the ability. You see, you've got your response, you've got salvation, but your ability now is to live saved and go and enjoy that meal. You see, you've got to understand this. Listen to this. Responsibility is the ability to choose your response in any set of circumstances. I want to say that one more time. Responsibility gives you the ability to choose your response to any set of circumstances. Keep that thought up because I'm getting to that one. It doesn't mean taking the blame or taking the credit. Responsibility truly means this, that you are accountable for your response no matter what. A lot of people want to be responsible when it's good. I'll take response for that. But they don't want to be responsible no matter what. God is requiring from each and every one of us responsibility no matter what. No matter whether we feel he's good or bad, our response is going to be the same. Whether we're sick or whether we're well, my response is going to be the same. No matter what, I'm going to keep believing God. You may say, Pastor, it's easy for you. You're perfect. No, I'm not perfect. I have problems like everyone else. But I know I choose my response before the enemy even comes. 
I'm ready for him. I'm living prepared. I'm not living bound by fear, but I'm living prepared that when he comes, I can throw my hands in the air, not surrendering to him, but surrendering over to God. And not only surrendering over to God, just saying, hey, God, I'm over here. Would you give me some attention right now? You see, you've got to live prepared. Romans 8 verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the thought is this, they set their minds where? To the things of the Spirit. Romans also speaks about to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I believe that's verse 5, 8, 5. To be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life. So I've got to set my mind. Say with me, set my mind. I've got to set my mind on the right things so the as-ifs can be the right way in my life. What is your mindset? You know in Greek that word mindset means to set your mind on something. But here's what it really means. Are you ready? To anchor your thoughts. You've got to anchor your thoughts. You've got to anchor your life upon God. It's not upon this and that. Well, I think maybe you've got to anchor your thoughts upon God and the truth of His Word. You've got to stop believing the lies. And you've got to believe the truth and live in the truth. Live in the truth. We've got to start living anchored to the thousands of what-if possibilities that God's Word says are available to us. And listen to me, we've got to start living as if we already have those things. Because we do. we just got to possess those things. We've just got to go to the restaurant. We've just got to cash it in. We've just got to order off the menu. We've got to live that way. I want to just quickly today, I want to show you five things that will set your mind. Five things that will anchor your life. That when the trials and the tribulations come, you can remain sure you can have the right response in your life. Are you ready? Number one, we've got to anchor our lives with His Word. What a great anchor the Word of God is for our lives. We've got to anchor with the Word of God. Look what it says in Psalms 119 verse 11. David says these words. He says, Your Word have I hidden. Next slide, please. Your Word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against who? God, your word I have placed in my heart that I might not sin against you. I love the Message Bible. Look what it says. The Message Bible says this. I have banked, I don't think I've got it, have I? I have banked your promises in the vault of my heart so I won't sin myself bankrupt. Let me say that again. I have banked your promises in the vault of my heart so I won't sin myself bankrupt. When it says your word have I hidden in my heart, It doesn't mean that I've placed it so far away that I can't even find it. It means this, I have strategically placed it. I've strategically placed it. It's there. It's not going anywhere. It's strategically placed. Why? Because I need it to produce the proper results because a word of God in my heart, what? Produces a lifestyle that will be completely different. That's what his word says. In fact, we've got to read verse 9 and 10. I want to read that from the message. You can put that scripture up now. It says this. How can a young person live a clean life? By carefully reading the map of your word. Look what it says. I am single-minded in pursuit of you. 
Double-minded man is what? Unstable in all his ways. I'm single-minded for you. I'm not believing the lies of the enemy. What's my response? It's going to determine my outcome. So I am single-minded. Where? In pursuit of you, God. Don't let me miss the road signs that you have posted. It's there. It's not hidden. Oh, I didn't see the sign. The Second World War, one of the ways that the Germans tried to stop the advance of the Allied forces was they would put people behind enemy lines to turn the signs and to twist the signposts, to send them in the wrong direction. God's Word says, hey, look, I've put the signposts out. And I want you to know something. God's signposts are anchored in concrete. Why would you say that? Because the devil can't turn those things. The devil can't turn those things. He can't turn. He tries to twist the Word of God, but you've got to believe the Word of God. You've got to know. You can't question the Word of God. You can know the Word of God in your life because it's an anchor to your life. What an incredible anchor God's Word is. And with a ship, an anchor is not only used to stop you drifting, you would drop the anchor to hold. Do you know that an anchor would also be used and could be used to drop in front of a ship to steer it through treacherous waters? That they would use it to drop down. Why would they use it? Because they would use it to navigate the depth through dangerous channels. What are you saying? God's word is not just to anchor my life, it's to take my life through the dangers of life. Psalms 119.105, your word is what? A lamp unto my feet. It's taking me where I need to go and it is a light unto my path. Come on, you've got to read it. I said you've got to read it. You've got to anchor your life. There's a fitting story that goes with the storms that we've had in California a number of years ago. There were severe storms and there was actually earthquakes and earthquakes that were shaking houses. And one particular neighborhood had been completely destroyed by an earthquake. And a parent frantically trying to get home to their house, knowing that their child had just been dropped off the bus. Knowing that their child was at home and pulling up as close as they could get because it was just disaster everywhere. They saw house after house completely destroyed with nothing left standing. Frantic tears streaming down their face running now because they couldn't get through with their parked car, through all the police, all the emergency responders, running to the house, being tried to be stopped by so many people but would not be denied. My kid, my kid, my kid, my kid. Turned the corner to see their entire street completely leveled apart from one little portion of their house. Screaming, screaming their child's name, they ran thinking all hope was lost. But when they screamed, they heard a cry responding back from their child. When they got to their house, it was a smallest part of a utility room. And when they looked in, they didn't even have to open the door. The door was gone. But when they looked inside of that room, they saw their little child standing on a Bible in the middle of that room. True story, true story, true story. They hugged that child and they said, what are you doing? They said, mom, you told me. Whenever I was in trouble, I could stand on your word. Whenever I didn't know what to do, I could stand on your... Now, that wasn't exactly what the parent was meaning physically, 
But it doesn't matter what way we get it. The Word of God is still a truth that you can stand on. And it works whether it's in your heart or under the bottom of your feet. It's an anchor that can hold you and that can see you through the greatest tragedies and the storms of life. Stand on the Word of God. Anchor number two, prayer. Have a talk with God. Have you taken it to God? Have you really prayed about it? We talk so much about it and post so much about it, we forget to take it to the one who really can answer us. Psalms 145 verse 18, The Lord is near to all who who pray, who call to Him. To all who call upon Him in truth. What an anchor. What a promise to know that when I pray, what's the promise? He's near. What a promise to know that He's near. He's always near. But you see, when I pray, I invite him into that situation. He's right there all the time. But as I pray, it makes me aware of the fact once again that he is there. It gives credit to the situations around me. Look at this, Jeremiah 33 verse 3. God's telephone number. God says, call to me. Come on, say pray. God says, pray, call out to me. I don't know how your prayer may go. Help is just as good a prayer as someone who's been praying for 30 minutes. God hears that cry. As much as anything else. But what's the promise? God says, if you call to me, if you pray to me, I will answer. What are you going to say to these things? What is your response going to be? I'm going to believe that when I pray, God answers. That's the response I'm going to take in my life. I'm going to know because I'm going to resist the devil steadfast in the faith. I'm going to be sober-minded, meaning what? I'm going to be self-controlled. I'm not going to let my thoughts go everywhere. I'm going to control my thoughts. And I'm going to call upon a God who will answer and show me great and mighty things that I maybe don't know, that are not in reach and not possible for me right now. But God says as we pray, impossibilities can become possible for our life. It may not be right now, but as you pray, God can show you the things that He has in store for your life. What an anchor of hope prayer can be. Talk to God. Talk to Him in your own way. Let prayer become your anchor to give you peace in the midst of the storm. Talk to God. Anchor number three, church, church, church. Church isn't just a building. Come on, church is not just a building. Church is a living organism. It's alive. It's because of you and I. A building's not church. You are the church of God. Come on, you've got to be in the church of God. Psalms 92 verse 13, those who are planted in the house of the Lord. You're not uprooted this minute and you're not here. You are planted. You are fixed. It's a permanent fixture to you and your family. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish In the courts of God, all you mature people in the house, you can start shouting right now. Verse 14, they shall bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Why? If I plant my life, if I put my life in the anchor. Church is not a what? Suggestion. Church is not a question. Church is not an option. Church is a priority for you and your life. Come on, it's a priority for you and your life. That's a promise. If I'm planted in the house, I'm going to see what? Blessings. I'm going to flourish. My family's going to flourish. Everything around me is going to flourish. How about this one? If you don't get excited about that one, Matthew 16, verse 8. Jesus, this is his words. He says, I will build my church and the gates of 
of hell will not prevail against it. I'm going to put my finances through tithing in the church because there's no greater return because hell cannot do that. I'm going to put my children in the house of God because there's no greater return. I'm going to put my future and my life into the house of God. Why? Because the gates of hell will not prevail upon it. David said to God, I'll build you a house. And God says, no, hold on a second, I'll build you a house. You see, when we prioritize his church, he prioritizes our home. Listen to me right now. He'll build your house when you build his house. Just to have more time today. Number four, anchor number four, proper friendships. You've got, you got to have the right people around you. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friends. Message Bible says you use steel to sharpen steel and one friend sharpens another. Who's the people around you? Are they making you more Christ-like? Are they making you more godly? I didn't say you exclude every other type of friendship, but what I'm saying is you've got to watch for the friends that are draining you, the neutral friends, and the ones who are filling you. You've got to watch the balance right there, because if you're around too many drains, you're going to be sucked dry. If you're around too many neutral people, oh, the enemy likes you to be there because you're not really going anywhere. And even in the business world, they say if you're not going anywhere, you're falling behind. You've got to be around people who are speaking into your life so you can hang out with like-minded people and you can speak into other people. But you've got to have some before you can give it. You've got to be around the proper friends and you can't be deceived in the process of all of that because the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 and 15, 33, it says, do not be deceived because evil company corrupts good habits. You can have all the good habits you want. The evil company is going to corrupt those. Don't be deceived. Don't think you're the exception to the rule. Don't think, well, I'm just going out there to save the whole world. Listen, God can use you, but you've got to save yourself first. Your response, you've got to watch the law of association. What does that say? You get like the people you hang around. I want to be around the right people so I can be the right person. Anchor number five, anchor number five, worship, praise and worship, 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 worship. What an anchor worship is. What an anchor worship is. What an anchor worship is. Psalms 22 verse 3, but you are holy. Means incapable of doing anything wrong. God, you are everything. So a God who is everything, where does he want to be, Rob? I want to be enthroned in the praises of my people. That's what God says. A holy God, a mighty God, an incredible God wants to be where? In the praises of Israel. You see, when we worship heavenly realities invade our area and they come to our zip code. I want to say that one more time. As we worship, heavenly realities invade our area and they come to our zip code. They come to our home. Anchors, anchors, anchors. You've got to have anchors in your life so you can turn around the as-ifs because we all want to leave the regrets. But to get to the what-if possibilities... We've got to go through the process. And we've got to start living like we already have those blessings, because we do. We're maybe not there yet, but we've got to start realizing that as a child of God, it's ours already. We've got to start living as if we have those things. And that begins by realizing God is for you and he's going to help you through. Come on, don't let your emotions be anchored to your circumstances, because then you are going to look crazy. 
We've got to anchor our emotions to what? To the cross. We've got to anchor our emotions to the cross. And we've got to let that become our fixed point of peace. Where did we go? James 2 verse 3. We've got to know. 1 Peter 5 8. We've got to be sober and vigilant. Romans 8 31. What shall we say to these things? You see, today we've seen the fact falls on our lap. His word is true. Will you go to the menu? Will you go to the restaurant? Will you order the best? Because as a child of God, He has the best for you. He has the best for you. Would you bow your heads all over this place right now? So I was just reading some thoughts this morning. I came across this and I thought this was really a great way to end the message today. And it says this. At some point in our lives, we all need someone who believes in us more than we believe in ourselves. And that's who Jesus is. And that's what Jesus does. I disappoint myself many times. But I've got to believe in someone who believes in me greater than I do. That's Jesus. That's the one. I want to tell you today, He believes in you. He believes in you so much that if you would have been the only person alive, He would have still come to this earth to die for you. To die for you. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. I wonder today if there's someone that you would say, Maybe you walked in this door saying, as if there isn't is a God, as if God even cares, as if that's just old history. Maybe you've realized, and I pray you have realized today, that you can live a changed as if, no longer questioning God, but you can live knowing God, having God, experiencing God, having a steadfast faith relationship that's going to help you resist the enemy, because that's what we discussed today that you can know God. I wonder if there's anyone here today as every head is bowed and every eye is closed that you would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? My life's not right. I've got to start turning my life and believe in someone who believes in me greater than I believe in myself. Is there anyone here today? Is there anyone? Thank you, sweetheart. Is there anyone else today? Thank you. Is there anyone else today? Can we just all stand to our feet right now? I want that young lady who lifted her hand if she would just come forward right now. And anyone else, if I missed it right now, come on, let's just welcome them to the front. Can we just do that in the house? Got people coming to stand with you. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard. But we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.